Welcome back to another episode of The 10th Muse. I'm Helena. And I'm Siobhan. And this is the podcast where we talk about a unique collection of women through history that have done pretty amazing things. Yep, that's right. So from artists to activists, scientists to singers, these are not the women you already know. Instead, they're women that we think deserve more recognition and we hope that you enjoy hearing about them as much as we do. Well, should we get get the show on the road? Yeah, let's get the show on the road. Who went first last week? Me. Should I go first this week or yeah. do you want to go first? No, you go first. Swapping? Should we okay, still yeah. do the whole... Yeah, yeah. well, before we start, I meant to say to you, I have had like literally quite a few responses from people, like friends and stuff who listen, who've messaged me being like, I loved the beginning of last episode when you like oh, talked about shows nice. and music. And, like I've had a few people being like, I've now got watch lists and stuff. <laughs> like, oh, let's just start a whole cool. other podcast about Honest to God, I had one today from Pop Becky. Culture. I know from I know from school, and she was like, "I was actually thinking that you two should start this podcast," and then you said it. <laughs> I was just like, "Oh well." I was like, "Do not encourage yeah. us because that's all we'll do is just talk about TV and films and stuff." And and like, also, I thought as well after we recorded last week, you missed so many shows off your watch list that I really thought what? you were going to talk about. What? Well, for example, you didn't even mention Outlander. Oh my god! Oh my god! I was gonna tell you because I watched the end of season three the other day. So dad is working mornings at the moment. Well, he was last week, so he starts at five a.m. and mum. So he goes to bed really early, and then mum goes to bed with him at like eight or nine. So I've got like my whole, yeah. my whole evenings to myself a lot with just the, just the dogs. And we've been like, I was sat watching it, and you know. Those earlier episodes when I'd like talk you through everything and be like, Yeah, oh my god, so this happened and then this happened and then yeah, this yeah, happened. Yeah. This yeah. person died and then <laughs> Yeah. So I was sat on the edge of my seat, like, oh my god. Ah. <laughs> like I just didn't know what was gonna happen. I was so it was so tense. And I was like, Oh yeah, this is why I love it. Yeah, exactly. You watch so much, like for anyone I listening, Helena binged her way through Outlander and I came downstairs one day you were like oh I'm just starting this again or you'd never seen it before or you were starting it again I'd never seen it before you'd never seen I it before it. and then it was like every time I came down the stairs Helen would be like five episodes so further and she'd be so like well you've happens. missed this and then so much stuff was happening a person and, um, I thought had died yeah. came back and <sighs> bathed in a bath of blood in front of this boy in in Jamaica I think it was I feel like that description alone tells me which character it probably is who do you think it is because I don't think you do oh maybe not okay I thought it was the no (laughs) no okay Jesus okay so Helena's got a lot to catch me up on outlander wise but yeah you didn't think outlander and we didn't um we watched snowpiercer you like, just said that as Alicia across the room has gone, yeah. Snowpiercer. <laughs> I know, Snowpiercer. I loved Snowpiercer. We all loved Snowpiercer. And then now there's yeah. season two, which is very exciting. Starring Sean Bean. I know, I've seen Boromir that. Well, we've not watched himself. any yet, but... <laughs> we've not watched any yet, but we're, we're going to... Because it's weekly, isn't it? And I'm kind of... Well, I liked I binging know, it last then... time. Yeah. I I thought it was weekly and then I watched the first one and it felt like about five weeks passed until the second okay. came out. But oh, yeah. Maybe that's because I also, 
time. Me and um, Alicia, in it, one day, we've watched all of It's a Sin. All of it. Yes. And I'm impressed because wow. that's rough going. Yeah, well, it was it like... I, I had to do it in, like, two episode increments. I think we couldn't not like we kind of got so into it and then it was like at the end of every episode we were like we're gonna have to just carry on because even though it's like really rough it's like it's beautiful it's so it's well perfect. made and compelling and like all the actors in it are incredible and oh it's like heartbreaking but funny and like I loved it like I actually loved it and you can tell it's Russell T Davis and it's like yeah I just loved it um but we cried a lot obviously all the way through it as well but yeah 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 I did it was um amazing it was <laughs> funny it was like so great to watch but it was like hot it was so heartbreaking yeah it was so heartbreaking um, all of them in that are amazing so good I love Jill I mean Character everyone Jill. loves Jill you can't <laughs> have you got anything else that you've watched or listened to I do we've been watching um The Great with Elle all Fanning. right about um Catherine the Great that's on every Sunday and it's like my mum and dad's Sunday program um mm-hmm. and it's amazing it's it's really like tongue-in-cheek it's very funny it's very much like the favorite the film um about well, with okay. the Olivia Coleman in it it's very much that kind of tongue-in-cheek funny kind of vibe um mm-hmm. it's just really good it's got Elle Fanning as Catherine the Great and it's when she first comes to Russia. And right. um, it's got Nicholas Holt as Tsar Peter. And it's got loads of loads of like big names in it. Really like rich, decadent costumes and sets. She has a pet bear. It's really cool. <laughs> and it's all about like her finding her feet in the Russian court um, because she doesn't like a lot of the ladies that are there and she doesn't like her husband and like her her maid Mario and Count Orlo he's like one of the czar's ministers they like plot for her to become like the the sole ruler but I don't know when that happens yet because we're only up to like five episodes or something or six episodes but yeah it, it's amazing it's really it's really funny um okay. it, yeah it's brilliant I, I love it it's just it's I don't know it's just it's so light and easy to watch and it's like obviously I love historical stuff because Hmm. it takes you out of this horrible time zone (laughs) we are living in yeah Um, it's quite nice right now yeah yeah exactly and it's just funny like every time they have a drink they like smash their glasses on the floor and it's very much like kind of overemphasizing the stereotypes of like women and yeah it's just really funny we've been watching that yeah what about you anything else or it's a sin is what i've binged we're watching our way through one tree hill currently which alicia's never watched so we've gotten quite far i tell you what i've been listening to is the new Haley williams album that just randomly dropped she like announced it two days before it came out and then it just came out it's called flowers for vases uh, or vases if you're on the american side of things and it's so good like it's so good (laughs) I love it it's very like her first album took me a while to get into like because it's quite a mix of styles and stuff and this one's very like she recorded it and wrote it all at home so like every instrument on it's her playing and 
it's all her singing and she recorded it all at home and stuff. And um, so it's very like acoustic-y. It's quite like stripped back and it's very like, I read a review that was like the whole album sounds like it's bathed in moonlight. And I was wow. like, oh, I it's like so good. That. that is pretty much all I've been doing for the last few days. Yeah. Is watching Montreal Hill and listening to Hayley Williams. So that's, that's nice. where I'm at right now. I've been listening to some cool podcasts. Love a podcast. So I listened to a while ago, I listened to one called, I think it's Totally Spies. Or let me just double check because I also think Totally Spies was the name of a TV show I watched when I was a kid. Yeah. I I keep yeah. With the cartoons, they were so cool. Um, but this podcast, hold on, Haley Atwell. Oh my God, Haley Atwell. I don't know if it's Haley Atwell. Hold on, she's an actress. Is it Haley uh, Atwell? So there's oh a podcast produced by Vanessa Kirby, not produced, um, narrated by Vanessa Kirby. Right. I'm sure it's Haley Atwell. If it's Hayley Atwell, I don't need to hear anymore because I will listen to it. Is, to it is, it's Hayley Atwell. Oh, Vanessa Kirby. God. It's called, and what's it's it called? called True Spies. <laughs> um, not Totally <Okay>. Spies. <laughs> of course. Um, but yeah, so it's a podcast where they basically talk about um, spies. That's all, <laughs> all I can oh say. Oh my God. It's really cool. I've got to one... listen to this. Yeah, There's like two actresses that I love. I know, I love Vanessa Kirby. There's one episode um, right at the start that I listened to. It's about um, mm-hmm. a KGB agent who is uh, who was deep undercover in the US and had um, like a family and job. And he got like oh the God. code that he'd been compromised and he had to like leave and come back to Russia. And he like disobeyed the KGB. Oh so it's really, it's really interesting. It's really cool. So have you listened to that? Oh, I'm going to have to listen to this. Yeah. yeah. True Spies, that's what it's called. And I also, today, because I've just become, like, obsessed with finding out what li- what it's like to live in London, <laughs> I started listening to This City by Clara Ampho. And she, like, talks to loads of, like, famous people about, like, just about, like, their experiences of living in London. So the ones I really liked <laughs> were um, Jade Thirlwall, who was from Little Mix. Um mm-hmm a fellow northern gal like myself she's from south shields which is out to the east of newcastle and i am from the north of newcastle northumberland and uh yeah i love jade really have i told you (laughs) have i mentioned that um and the other one the other one i really liked shush was ollie alexander from years and years and it's sin are you laughing because I just shushed you? <laughs> yeah, but I was like mid sip of tea when you shushed me. So it just because I was trying to choke on tea. Um, um, yeah, yeah. The other one was um, Ollie. Oh, we'll have to listen to that too as well because I love Clara Ampho. It's really cool. It's really good. Yeah, and oh no, I also this the one with um, Shuti Gatwa who um, plays Eric in Sex Education. <sighs> okay. Yeah. It was so really it's a really cool. good one. I'll have to yeah. listen to these all. Yeah. I've never heard of uh, True Spies. And it doesn't surprise me that Clara Ampho has a podcast, but I've literally never heard it. So yeah, she just basically well. like all of her famous friends. So yeah. like Nick Grimshaw. I know um, as well. the new Annie Mack 
podcasts started to come out. Um, Changes, yeah. Like the new series of that, yeah, which I really like. Is that it good? Series. I, I was to thinking to of listening well. to it. Yeah, it's good. She like the first series of the podcast she did was kind of like it was. Um, she talks about how she's like notoriously had a really bad memory like she's just rubbish in memory like people tell uh-huh. stuff about like her wedding day and she's like I just literally don't remember it oh so the f- setup originally was that like she would have someone tell her a story about something that's happened in her life so like her mum tells the story <laughs> about the time she came home like she had really really long like curly hair and then she came home one day and had it put like so short and her mom was like I nearly died like you walked in and it was like dead short it was when she was like a raver and um yeah so like her mom will tell that story and then she'll then speak to someone like a friend or whatever I think in that episode it's a science stylist about like identity like to do with her or whatever it is so like it'll relate to the story okay. um and then in, it moved on so like now it's like changed because that was called I think it's like remembering Annie or Annie I can't remember what it was called and then um now it's called Changes and she just interviews like kind of famous people and stuff but it's still really really good so Mm. I I do listen to it but yeah I have to catch up on all of these yeah um the Louis Theroux podcast is also great I Mm -hmm. I love that one I listened to the episode with Helena Von Carter love that it's really really good who else have I listened to on that one I don't remember. If I were to go through every episode of every podcast I've listened to, we'd be here a while. Uh, also, my favourite one, Off Menu Podcast. My absolute favourite. Your faves. It's hilarious. My faves. Uh, mine's my favourite murder, but I've, I've dropped behind on that a little bit. Yeah. Um, I, can't, I don't even know what I've been listening to. I've been listening to some Armchair Expert episodes. I listened to one with Sean Mendes the other day. It was really interesting. Oh. And I don't know, I have so many podcasts I could recommend, but I'm just blanking right now. Yeah, that's fair. Have you been reading anything? or? Um, I have started The Hobbit. Oh, have you? I've never read any of Lord of the Rings. Um, um, the Hobbit is a really easy one to get into. Yeah, well, that's what my sister said. So my sister, shout out Rosh, loves kind of all of Lord of the Rings and just Same. like she's more into like kind of like folklore stuff than me and like myth- mythical stuff more than I am and so she's always tried to get me into it I've watched all of the Lord of the Rings with her she made me the first time I watched Lord of the Rings she did not break me in easy she made me sit and watch all of the extended editions that's how she eased me into Lord of the Rings like kind of shot me in the deep end and so I said I would read them and I was like, uh, where should I start? And she was like, put start The Hobbit first because it's sort of a prequel. And she was like, and it's easy because it's kind of written like for kids, is it? Or is it just yeah. easier? It was sure. written for kids originally. Um, yeah. So I'm, I've am i started that. Um, yeah, and that's basically... I maintain that um, things like Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter are the like golden age of CGI. Oh, absolutely. Like... The fact we, that, like, did I send you something the other day about CGI in Pirates of the Caribbean or something? Uh, I don't think you've sent it, sent it to me, but I think I saw it on Twitter or something about yeah. um, Davy Jones. Yeah, I'm sure we've talked about it. Incredible. Yeah. So good. I, Lord of the Rings are like my favourite films ever. Yeah. Um, no, the CGI is incredible in them. Uh, yeah, it, it's unreal. Yeah. It's like not trying to make it like it's, you can tell it's half practical effects the way they've done it and... Um, 
yeah in all of those eras of films I guess because they didn't have the technology but I just think it feels more real it's yeah well because a lot of it is like like special effects makeup and props Mm. and like they make like a lot of stuff so there there probably is more than I probably have realized um the CGI but I think a lot of it also is realistic so like all the see all the like sets the majority of them are like real yeah um like they hiked up a mountain Mm. in some shots and then um Edoras is like in like this big kind of plain in New Zealand yeah it's really cool I love it well if uh that's quite a good segue to my person actually oh I'm intrigued is it weirdly so no (laughs) so um are we are we happy to end our little like pop culture section I'm happy okay well I I'm gonna start you off this week with my muse and I'm gonna tell you about someone who essentially invented 3D movies and television Ooh, intriguing not necessarily on purpose but she's literally created the technology that means that that's why we have 3d movies um so yeah i used for this one i used obviously like wikipedia is our friend and biography.com were like my two main things for this one and it's not too long so this will be a quick fire story but i'm going to tell you about valerie thomas have you ever heard of valerie thomas because i hadn't until i looked her up no no, I don't think so. Pause the sip tea. Um, okay, so Valerie L. Thomas is an American scientist and inventor. So she was born on the 8th of February, 1943 in Maryland. And she was fascinated by technology from a young age as she watched her father tinkering with the TV and like she saw the mechanical parts inside of it and was like really interested in like, what are you doing? And, like straight away was asking questions. Did you say 1843 or 1943? 1943, but if I said 1843, this is... No, I just realised I completely blanked out for a second and was like, oh, wait, she's starting. (laughs) Sorry. Go ahead. Carry on. Right. She was born in 1943 in Maryland. And so, yeah, at a young age, obviously, they have television, but it's a rudimentary version of what we have now. It's probably only reaching a couple channels or whatever. So she watched her dad fixing it sometimes and was intrigued with how it worked but she wasn't encouraged to explore science and in fact her dad wouldn't work on any projects with her despite the fact that he had his own interest in electronics he just wouldn't work with her on anything um and it was very I guess she's a product of like the the, the 50s essentially so she's not only a woman but she's a black woman in America in the 50s so it wasn't really encouraged for her to go down a scientific route um so at the age of eight, she checks out a book called The Boy's First Book on Electronics out of the local library, and that sparked her interest in a career in science. So that's where she sort of started to see that it could go somewhere, at least for the men. So why not her, basically? Yeah. So I've already lost my place. <laughs> Hold on. Um, yeah, so she, I like feel like because I, I try and talk to you as I'm doing it, so it's a bit more natural. <laughs> I just don't know where I am. Yeah, so she attended a high school for girls um, that downplayed maths and science, although she did manage to take a physics course. And she didn't have a lot of support generally as a child. So 
while her parents and her school teachers didn't generally fight for her to study a STEM curriculum, she did have a few who did. So she did have some encouragement and she knew that she wanted to go down a science route with her career. And she just sort of fought for that. Um, after she graduated from high school, she finally got a chance to explore her interests in science as a student at Morgan State University, which is a public historically black research university in Baltimore, Maryland. And she's actually one of only two women at Morgan to major in physics. She's Ooh. one of two at that wow. time. Yeah, like massive trailblazer. Yeah, um, she must have been very clever. Yeah, very, like, well, we you will soon find out how clever she yeah. was. So in my next sentence, so she, um, she excelled in her studies and she graduated from Morgan and accepted a position as a data analyst at NASA. So she was... Wow very clever <laughs> she was a certified genius probably I mean not everyone gets to work at NASA so she was very good at what she did so in 1964 she begins working for NASA as a data analyst she developed real-time computer data systems to support satellite operations control centers between 1964 and 1970. And she oversaw the creation of the Landsat program, which ran from 1970 to 1981. She became an international expert in Landsat data products. So basically- Landsat? I see um, you tell me now. <laughs> Good question though. So the Landsat program is the longest running enterprise for the acquisition of satellite imagery of the earth. So basically satellite images, send the satellites up, all that that's the Landsat program okay. and what still runs now and like satellites that are up there now are from these this early program that was in the 60s and 70s well 70s okay. so it's the reason why we have all these images of like the moon for a start and then like out in the solar system it's like that's the Landsat program mm -hmm. in 1974 Thomas headed a team of approximately 50 people for the large area crop inventory experiment which is also known as Lacey, <laughs> okay. which was a joint effort with NASA's Johnson Space Center and the, the, and the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration and the US Department of Agriculture. That is a lot of- So a lot of acronyms and names, <laughs> departments. So Lacey, this experiment, basically demonstrated the feasibility of using space technology to automate the process of predicting wheat yield on a worldwide basis. Oh, it's all okay. based in like how to, how to like use the information they're gaining from space and like the, the technology they're developing to, you know, predict like crops and like how different parts of the world need different things and like, you know, try and help sustain the planet a bit more basically. Yeah. Um, and she headed sense. up like a team of 50 people for that. So she was really high up in this very cool kind of groundbreaking work. So in 1976, Thomas attended a scientific seminar where she viewed an exhibit that demonstrated an illusion. And this is where movies kind of come into play. So <laughs> I'm trying to explain what she saw. So the exhibit used concave mir mirrors. So kind of like funhouse mirrors, if give you a visual. Okay. Um, to fool the viewer into believing that a light bulb was still glowing, even after it had been unscrewed from its socket. So it's like an optical illusion using mirrors, basically. 
And she was so amazed at what she saw at the seminar that she wanted to start creating this on her own. So she had that very special kind of mind where she saw something happen and didn't just go, oh, that was cool. She kind of wanted to understand exactly how it works and see how she could apply it to her job and like to help the world, basically. I'm very um, much in that former category. But when I was <laughs> the, in school, I'm like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then I move yeah. on. <laughs> I might be like exactly I might be like oh, I wonder how that works but I don't do the effort to find out how it works yeah. <laughs> I just go that's cool <laughs> I go oh, that's cool but interesting um yeah and reading about this experiment and then I had to like kind of google like well what does this even mean like what's happening I can explain <laughs> yeah, I can this <laughs> in an audio format like no one's seeing a picture of this as I'm explaining it um, <laughs> So yeah, so later that year, she begins to experiment with flat and concave mirrors. And so she was curious about how light and concave mirrors could be used in her work at NASA. So she began her research in 1977. This involved creating an experiment in which she observed how the position of a concave mirror could affect the real object that it reflected. So you know, moving it back and forth, like putting it in different positions and seeing how that would like affect the optical illusion. And using this technology, she would invent the illusion transmitter. So basically what that means is <laughs> why I understand. The flat mirrors would have a reflection on a certain object and that would seem to be behind some glass. And then the concave mirror would have a reflection that would actually be in front of the glass, producing a three-dimensional illusion. So it's kind of like... Oh, I can kind of picture that. I kind of know it. Yeah, okay. You know, so like, say there's like, I'm trying to think, let's say it's like a ball and then they use a mirror. So the reflection of the ball is going through some glass and then on the other side of the glass, there's a mirror, but that's concave. So it's like an optical illusion. So depending on where you look at it, it can seem 3D, but you're not looking at the actual ball. You're looking at like an image of the ball, I think. Yeah. <laughs> With some authority. Very. <laughs> Non-existent authority. But I can, kind of, I can kind of picture that in my mind. Yeah. Well, so if it helps, basically. So on October 21st, 1980, she obtained the patent for the illusion transmitter, a device that NASA continues to use it today for like different experiments and things. But... Yeah, essentially, she invented 3D movies and television. So that's the way you can like imagine this, is that's how 3D movies work, is that it's, an, from what I've read on it, <laughs> I could be completely wrong, when I'm trying to work this out, is essentially that there's not like a separate print of the film that's in 3D. It's like illusions with mirrors is how it technically works, and that's how what makes it 3D yeah. when so we see it. why do you it. need to wear the red and blue glasses? You know, God you get, only knows, Helena. Don't ask on me. red and blue glasses at the cinema. I think this technology has moved on since, so maybe okay. like she's just originated the 3D movie. But I don't want to say that for sure. And how someone messaged us being like, actually, <laughs> you're completely wrong. But essentially, she created the thing that would help make that optical illusion and make something seem like it's there in 3D okay. when it's not. So. That, I mean, that's impressive enough on its own, but I also wanted to kind of list some of her other achievements because she just did, she got a crazy amount of things on her CV, if you see her, saw her CV. So 
As a woman and an African-American, Thomas worked her way up to Associate Chief of the Space Science Data Operations Office at NASA, which is a feat in itself. She's a black woman in like the 70s, essentially this is at NASA and she's like really high up, which just shows that like, I guess as well that NASA is obviously valuing her for her brain and nothing else is really mattering. She's obviously a very intelligent woman and they can recognize that. In 1985, she was the NASA Space Science Data Coordinated Archive Computer computer Facility, I nearly had it, in 1985, she was the NASA Space Science Data Coordinated Archive Computer Facility Manager, (laughs) and she was responsible. She was responsible for a major consolidation and reconfiguration of two previously independent computer facilities, and she infused it with new technology. Okay. Don't know what that means, but that's what she did. Okay. Yeah. Clearly, we're not smart enough to work at NASA. I'm not smart enough to even understand what that job is. So then she served as the Space Physics Analysis Network, which is acronymed as SPAN, Um, project manager from 1986 to 1990 during a period when SPAN underwent a major reconfiguration and grew from a scientific network with about 100 computer nodes to one directly connecting about 2,700 computer nodes worldwide. I don't know. I don't know what that means but good for her. Yeah me neither but good for you Valerie Thomas. Um, And then in in 19, well, this is, so this is kind of what it means. In 1990, SPAN became a major part of NASA's science networking and is now part of today's internet. So oh, okay. it essentially was connecting different computers around the world for scientific reasons. And now I think is part of how the internet works, basically. Um, she also participated in projects related to Halley's Comet, ozone research, um, satellite technology, and the Voyager spacecraft. So she was involved in a lot of stuff. And this is all after she's doing her inventions. And she's, yeah, I mean, that list alone, it's like Halley's Comet and Ozone Research and Satellite and Voyager Spacecraft. That's like Mm. four major events of the last like 50 years. And she was like directly involved in them and like in researching them and and getting the data for, for NASA. And so she's moved on from just being a data analyst as well. Like she's in charge of all these projects and like it's a big voice in them. Which you can tell because so I've got a list of some awards that she was given for her achievements. She received a number of NASA awards, including the Goddard Space Flight Center Award of Merit and the NASA Equal Opportunity Medal. And her success as a scientist, despite the lack of early support for her interests, inspired Thomas to reach out to students. So in addition to her work at NASA, she mentored youth throughout the through the National Technical Association and Science Mathematics Aerospace Research and Technology Inc. So she's actually like trying to get you know young people into science. Like a youth and, mentor. Yeah, and try and show them that they can work for NASA and that they can actually be at the top of the game and presumably show women like girls that you know a career in STEM in America is like actually viable yeah. and something that they could like you know. T- strive for which is incredible because she didn't have that early support in her own life and she's like been you know fostering that in other people so I think that's really impressive as well and yeah so then at the end of August 1995 she retired from NASA and her positions of so at the same time as she was working at NASA 
within NASA. She was also Associate Chief of NASA's Space Science Data Operations Office. She was manager of the NASA Automated Systems Incident Response Capability. And she was chair of the Space Science Data Operations Office Education Committee. Wow. So she was in charge. She made it big. Yeah, she's in charge of a lot of different things. She's obviously been viewed as like an actual authority within NASA on these subjects. And she's not just someone that's been sidelined or sort of showed up for work and then that's it. Like she's obviously climbed the ladder a lot. And yeah, post-retirement, Valerie Thomas served as an associate at the UMBC Centre for Multicore Hybrid Productivity Research. And she continued to serve as a mentor for youth through the Science, Mathematics, Aerospace, Research and Technology and National Technological Association. And um, her invention of like that early um, illusion transmitter, which obviously is the basis for 3D movies and things that's been depicted in a children's fictional book and you know on television and in video games and that early version um which has led to you know a change in the movie industry like that once that's a tech once that's like available as a technology that can be utilized it obviously is I mean how many films have you seen in 3D like and you don't really think about it but I remember Shrek in 3D (laughs) that was the first one that was amazing I think it was like a separate, sh- a separate Shrek film. It wasn't like, I don't know, I can't even remember. Maybe I'm just having some fever dream about Shrek. No, I definitely saw Shrek in 3D. I was thinking more like I've seen some Avengers films in 3D, not Shrek 3 That's like Shrek. I mean... <laughs> Shrek is it is a ever whoa big statement but I think a lot of people agree with you on I'm sorry I could justify the statement oh my god um so yeah so that is quite a summarized quick version of Valerie L Thomas and she's still alive she's still with us today and she did all this incredible stuff despite not really having that interest in science nurtured at an early age and you know she just dis- she went for it herself. And I mean, the fact there's so many firsts there and like the fact that she was one of two women who majored in physics at her uni when she yeah. was there. Like, I wonder what the makeup is now of like, you know, it's still balanced more towards men in science, you know, degrees yeah. and like maths degrees. But then is it really going to be as low as two people? You know, that's kind of yeah incredible. And then she's, you know, on all these teams for all these major different landmarks of NASA, NASA history that you, if you're, even vaguely interested in NASA like could probably name a lot of them so that's kind of interesting I can't name a lot of those departments that she worked for because they are far too long I think they need to undergo you know dumb them down a bit for the masses but yes that's Valerie Thomas very cool woman does she have much of a social life I god only knows (laughs) (laughs) maybe I I don't know (laughs) there wasn't a lot of like um stuff from when I was was looking her up it's like like her wikipedia page isn't very long at all and there isn't a lot listed to do with you know personal life and I guess that you know maybe that's from choice maybe that's like she lets her work speak for her but yeah I mean I just I'm just fascinated with people who will do stuff like that where she's gone and seen this exhibit and it's gone oh that's really cool how does that work and how can I apply that to like one of the you know biggest scientific institutions in the world and like help explore space and like help 
mankind with all these different things and maybe she wasn't planning on it being like a 3d movie thing maybe she wasn't planning on the technology to be used in shrek (laughs) but it has enriched my life nonetheless that is here here good on you valerie thomas thanks yeah cool yeah so that is she is my 10th muse this week um and I'm going to exit off and I'm going to make you full screen and then I'm going to let you tell me your story. Okie dokie. Who is your 10th muse this week? <laughs> Helena Davidson. Go. My 10th is famed arts patron, lesbian, Winneretta Singer. Yeah. So Winneretta Singer was born on the 8th of January, 1865. She was the 20th of 24 children from Isaac Pop. Singer. So I think it's multiple different, multiple different wives. Oh my god! Okay, yeah. okay. Um, I was going to say twenty-four out of one I lady know. area. No. Oh, nice. um, okay. Okay, so he's got multiple. Okay, cool. at least two. I think three-ish wives. Um, right. Uh, so yeah, twenty to twenty-four children from Isaac Singer, who was the inventor of the Singer sewing machine. Ah. Um, okay. So she My mum's got a couple of them. Yeah, I'm sure most people do. <laughs> yeah. um, as you can imagine, they had a massive fortune. Um, mm. They were rich. Um, rich. She was born in New York, but her family moved to Paris when she was very young. So she was one of Isaac Singer's legitimate children. So I think they were there were a few illegitimate children with his second wife, Isabella Boyer. So as one of the legitimate children, well, to be honest, I say as one of the legitimate children, I think all of the children had access to the fortune when he eventually died. Right. I think it was very much just like, yeah, you're all my children. Okay. Um, I have all this money. It's fine. Yeah, I don't think they were going short of money. <laughs> yeah. She had full access to the single fortune when she was um, growing up and as a result was very, very privileged and she fell in love with all things art. So painting and music specifically. So the family, as I said, moved around a bit, but eventually moved back to Paris when her father died in July 1875. Um, And as I said before, all children benefited from the Singer fortune. And she received, I think it's about $900,000, which I'm going to work out. I'm going to quickly figure out. um, I'm going to guess how much, how much, nine... How much 900,000. 900,000 in 18 something or early. Yeah. 1980. In like I'm going to s- Okay. I'm going to say 1.7 billion. I have to count out this because I don't I can never remember how much is a million and how much is a billion. <laughs> oh no, I don't know either. Okay, go on. I don't know. Um, so, uh, hold on. How many zeros? There's no zeros. Um, no, okay. So I think it's 21,311,509 pounds and nine pence. Right. Okay. So I was way off, but yeah, a lot. But it's a a lot lot of money. money. And she was like, she was like 10 years old. Oh my god, stop. Imagine yeah. how much money it means. And that's and that's one of twenty-four children got that much money. Oh I just I, you can't even I don't even have words. Go on. Sorry. Go on. Um 
so yeah, she was very rich um, and loved art music. She was also quite talented musically. And for her 13th birthday, she requested to hear a performance of Beethoven's String Quartet uh, 131, I think, which was considered an incomprehensible piece of music by the Parisian music scene at the time. But she liked it and she requested it for her 13th birthday. Fair enough. And And when you have that much money, no one's saying no. Exactly. When... 15, she became friends with the composer Gabrielle Fauré, um, who mentored her musically and later she became his benefactor. So they were lifelong friends. She was very interested in French and foreign contemporary music um, and became very interested in Wagner's music when she visited the, I want to say Bayreuth Music Festival in Germany. I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, yeah, she visited yeah. this festival in Germany in 1882, and because she liked it so much, she went back every year. But it was quite a bold statement at the time because um, German music wasn't welcomed in France um, at the time because there was a lot of anti-German feeling after the Franco-Prussian War because France was defeated. But she was very much like, yeah. I like this. This is good. I'm going to listen to it. I'm going to get it into France. You said Franco-Prussian War and I have my own war flashbacks to A-level history. (laughs) The word Prussia. No thanks. Okay, sorry, continue. Yeah, she was also a decent painter and she loved spending time in the Louvre and was particularly fond of like Degas and Monet. Her love of art came from her mother. They had a bond because of that. Um, her mother was thought to be like a, a popular muse of painters at the time. However, when her mother remarried, her stepfather was violent and abusive. So Winneretta became financially independent from her mother at 21. And she put all of her wealth in her own name and became the legal administrator of her own inheritance. So she was in charge of it all, which very smart move, my girl. Mm. Yeah, um, big time. So she became, she began to invest in the things that she loved. So she began to sponsor art and music. So in order to become properly independent from her family, she decided to marry. And um, so she married a French prince, Prince Louis de Saint Montbelliard in 1887. I think that's how you pronounce it. Roll with it. Just say it with confidence. Roll with it. Yeah. (laughs) So obviously like the monarchy isn't, um, in place in France but like I think a lot of the old aristocratic families still retained their titles so yeah she married this this prince but in private circles she was already known as a lesbian um, and so on her wedding night she climbed on top of a wardrobe brandishing an umbrella and screamed if you touch me I'll kill you to her husband you know what? I forgot that you mentioned she was lesbian at the beginning, and I love this plot twist right now. And I love that image. <laughs> yeah, that's incredible. <laughs> yeah, they, they never um, consummated their marriage. Madonna. Um, she allegedly had affairs with other married women during her marriage, which she and her husband later had annulled about five years later, um, obviously because it was never consummated, as I just said. Yeah. So Virginia Woolf once wrote of her, I, I just thought it was a really funny quote to put to pop in. Um, mm. So apparently she was really attractive when she was young, but the pictures of her, she's just like very average. Um, and it's just a really funny quote. So Virginia Woolf says, 
Whatever she was born, she's grown into the image of a stately, mellow old Tory. To look at her, you'd never think she ravaged half the virgins in Paris. <laughs> Brutal. Brilliant. Oh no, they were friends. They were they were friends. Like I know, but isn't that the most like bitchy friends comment you've ever so heard? Funny. That's like to look so... at her. You'd never to think you she'd ravaged know. half the virgins in Paris. So funny. I love that. Maybe she had like yet that like cocky confidence of like Yeah, it's a personality. Apparently she was very witty and intelligent. So Oh we'll see, that'll do it. That's that's hilarious. Okay. She was ambitious and she knew she'd struggle to solidify her place in Parisian society without a husband. And so just a year later she was approached by a friend of another French prince, Prince Edmond de Polignac. And as he was gay as well, it was suggested that the two of them married um, in what is called a lavender marriage. Have you heard of that before? Um, I haven't. I've heard of beards, which sounds like that's what they are. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the the website I was reading it off is called Making Queer History, and they referred to it as a lavender marriage, which I actually think I have heard of before. I've heard, yeah, well, everything, yeah, like, it's a historically gay, like, like, lavender is, like, a yeah indicator, um, and I know of, like, those types of marriages, but I don't think yeah, I've yeah. ever heard of it referred to as that, like, I mean, I don't think so, um, but, yeah, no, it makes sense as a name, considering the history there, but, yeah. Yeah, so, um, Edmund was a composer, but he was penniless after he lost a lot of money in the stock market on, like, get-rich-quick um schemes which failed um and Winneretta had loads of money and needed the aristocratic connection so um it worked out well for the both of them um mm-hmm. and so they got married in December 1893 and uh, the two of them shared a love of music and traveling so they actually became really good friends throughout this marriage they both had their own extramarital relationships however they did have love for each other and they tried to create a temple of music at their home in Paris. Um, so there's a, a book called Music's Modern Muse by Sylvia Kahan, Kayen, I think. And she says, Winneretta decided to open her atelier in early 1894. By day, the newly renovated atelier was Winneretta's painting studio. And by night, it became a recital hall. So she had lots of musicians and poets and writers come in. She regularly commissioned new struggling artists to produce work for her atelier so a lot of the um a lot of really famous paintings and um like music um compositions and some operas and things were created for her like open atelier where people could come and listen so she was like massive for helping artists out that's really cool yeah that you might not have known some of them if she hadn't have backed them. That's really yeah. cool. Yeah, and like I'll, I've got a list of like some of the the names, and you'll be mm-hmm. like, oh my god. Okay. Uh, so Edmund died unfortunately in 1901 because he was actually oh. 30, 39 years older than her. Wow. Yeah, um, and he left everything to Winneretta, so she continued with her atelier kind of in his name. So the lists of artists, poets and writers and dancers that she helped are people like Nadia Boulanger, Eric Satie, Benjamin Britten, Claude Debussy. Have you heard of Debussy? Yes, I have. Yes. Yeah. Igor Stravinsky, Cole Porter and Kurt Weill. 
And then from dance, there's Sergei Diaghilev and Isadora Duncan. Sergei Diaghilev was like a massive Russian ballet dancer. Um, And I think he had or he was like a principal dancer for the Ballet Russe at the time. Um, The novelist Marcel Proust, who based some of his salon scenes in his book Remembrance of Things Past on the time he spent at Wernerettes. Wow. Other writers, including Colette, famously portrayed by Kira Knightley in the film (laughs) Colette. I bet you were wondering. You are playing the game of do a shot every time (laughs) Helena Davidson mentions Kira Knightley. That was your cue. That's... I bet you were wondering how I would get Kira Knightley into it this week. Well, there you go. I love it. I love it. I saw that <laughs> and I was like, right. yes. <laughs> it was completely not planned. I, I, I love it. it. I was like, yes. Um, oh my God. Yeah, so Colette, another famous French lesbian and writer, mm-hmm. came to Wittereftors a lot. Painter Claude Monet. Shut up. Yeah. Okay. Playwright and filmmaker Jean Cocteau and actress Claudette Colbert. And Winneretta became a patron of many of like those artists and um, especially the music musicians. And mm-hmm. so she commissioned compositions by Satie Stravinsky, Manuel de Falla, Francis Poulenc and others that like premiered at her salon. So Stravinsky for example, is a massive composer. Um, That's mad. Originated in her salon. That's honestly mad that it's like there's that many names there that are huge in yeah. like... Claude, Claude Monet. Yeah. Like, so like, if she hadn't have backed him or supported him, like financially or like given him a place to... You know what I mean? It's just it's weird when you think like that, that... Yeah, that's that's a name that everyone will probably have heard of. Yeah. At least maybe in, in some form. And so that's just insane. Yeah, she's she's cool. She's a cool, cool, cool girl. Yeah. So additionally, she gave direct financial aid to many of the others in her circle and was a generous donor to the Paris Opera um, and the Symphony. And as I said before, Diaghilev's Ballet Russe and other arts organizations. So she was very like liberal with her money. She just kind of was like, I have loads of it mm-hmm. here. Have some. I love it. Yeah, music. well, she had so I love much. <laughs> yeah. Um, and um, she was also had the title. She was then obviously like Princess de Polignac. So she was kind of like, I mean, she was obviously set as like an heiress to the Singer Fortune anyway, but like mm-hmm. she was completely set up for life. But I think there's a difference between like giving that much money and not doing anything with it and mm. then doing it to like fund the arts and like yeah. foster all these like really you know massive artists like that you would never have heard of otherwise maybe or possibly and like there's yeah that's the difference like she's used it in a way that it's actually like spread it out a bit and like made yeah. an impact rather than just like she could have just like drank and like had parties all the time which she probably did as well but like yeah, yeah, yeah. she actually fostered um, yeah it's, it's really cool yeah, well, the the article that I was reading for all of this, it like it, it talks about that right at the end. It like gives her like life history, but also says um, it's interesting to note that like lots of kind of modern like millionaires and billionaires kind of cite her as like a kind of like oh yeah, I'm gonna be like her. She had all this money and gave to the arts, 
and like they they just don't really give to the arts they're like they kind right. of say they're gonna leave stuff to the arts when they die and um it cites actually when um the Notre Dame that's it it cites when the Notre Dame caught fire a couple of years ago and mm-hmm. the like so many billionaires and like rich people like pledged all this money over twitter to like help with the rebuild and help to like fund the, the Notre Dame repairs and none of them followed through with donating any money that's ridiculous like, there were there were all these like people saying stuff for like for show and none of them followed through and it this is like a cited article so I'll we could post this and it's really interesting yeah we'll um, put it in the description and stuff yeah 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 it let me try and find what the article but no, I, I remember that like the fact that so many people it's just saying it for clout and like the social media kind of glorious like oh aren't you great and then not actually doing it or being like oh, I'll, I'll give money when I die it's like well that's not the same as helping right now if that's something that you're actually pledging to do yeah I'll have to have a read of this article properly, but the article it cites is from The Guardian and it's by Aditya Chakraborty. I don't know if I pronounced that right. I'm sorry if I've just butchered your name, Aditya. (laughs) But yeah, it basically, it's talking about, it says the lesson from the ruins of Notre Dame, don't rely on billionaires. And I'm just like scathing. Because yeah, yeah, and as we've just said, like as, as you have literally just said, like she was, very liberal she was like I have so much money I might as well give it to all these like charitable causes and all my like all these you know people these artists musicians and it's I think it's rare nowadays that you hear people with that much money being that philanthropic yeah big time yeah but yeah well you know you know so certain like I'm mean, I'm not <laughs> saying billionaires actually but some of them put money into like actual useful things and some of them just do you know sweet fa but i'm not gonna yeah. actually defend any billionaires right now because no Come one should on, be a say, billionaire let's make a space program that we don't need and talk about sending people to mars mm. um anyway so when it <laughs> was also anti-war however during the first world war she sent medical help to the soldiers and at one point worked with Marie curie to gather me- medical supplies and she repurposed a lot of her friends' limousines as ambulances and mobile radiology units. Wow. Front. So she was very much like, come on, guys. Yeah. yeah. She also believed in public housing and donated a lot of money to funding low-cost accommodation for those in need, focusing on restoring disused buildings to house abused women and their children. And so her romantic exploits are often overshadowed her philanthropic efforts, though. There was one kind of dramatic moment in her life when um, a disgruntled husband, whose wife she was um, interested in, um, burst in the room and yelled, if you are the man you pretend to be, come and fight a duel tomorrow at the Lido and stole things before leaving. The duel didn't happen and her stolen things were recovered from the river. What was the point? (laughs) Crazy. I don't know. I don't know. He was annoyed. Hashtag men. (laughs) Yeah. During the Second World War, she moved to London and continued to use her connections to throw charity events. But unfortunately, she died in 1943 
this what this article says it was during an attack on London, but like I've only seen that once, so I'm not entirely right. sure if that's true. Um, maybe Sylvia Cahan's book might say something different. I kind of want to read it. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a result, like because it was during the war, many of her friends in Paris couldn't mourn her. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. So very sad. The art she collected was mostly donated and her estate was used to fund more art projects after her death. So carried on. Yeah. So she is my 10th muse, Winneretta Singer, a woman born into incredible amounts of money and funded some of the greatest art work and organisations in Europe. No, really, really cool. I just think that that is an example that people should actually follow and not just say they're going to follow that's mad like you get that amount of money and actually you know she doesn't have to I mean obviously you're saying she did a lot of stuff during the war to kind of help you know organize stuff but even separate from that I mean you don't have to be funding cancer research you could be just funding the arts if that's something you're passionate in but yeah. like we wouldn't have some of those artists if like she hadn't funded them so that's yeah. like incredible in itself yeah no, I love that. I think that's really cool. Yeah, I, I really like it. Good work. Thank you. Good work to you too. Mine was short and sweet, but <laughs> so good. Well, yeah, we'll put the articles you're on about that explain different, like explain the more the details into like descriptions for this. Yes. Um, yeah, so we'll do that because they're really interesting to read. Um, I'm the name of that book as well. Yeah, I'll I'll post that in. It. I want to read it. it yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But yeah, I mean, mine was mine was only on a couple of different websites, but I can always link the website that I got a lot of mine from as well. But yeah, really cool. Two really cool women, completely yeah. different things as well. I know. Um, ones like yours, you know, funded the arts and helped the arts and then incidentally helped during the war. And then mine was doing like science and things and then incidentally helped yeah. the arts. <laughs> there, was a, there was a loose theme there. I feel like mine are often very like artsy, artsy based. But it's interest, isn't it? Mine's like yeah. I've had like a lot of like music and like NASA. I I mean I love space stuff and like NASA yeah. stuff. So that's I think I've had a couple. Have I had a couple NASA things? I had Disney things, music. I do a lot of musicians. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. But they're cool. but they're interesting. Some cool people. Exactly, and like got some cool feedback on coming back last week and all the other week. Yeah, Thanks glad you guys enjoyed it. We enjoyed it. Yeah. Us to, yeah big time and like getting back into the routine of it and even just putting one up every couple of weeks is quite it's better than we were doing yeah, as you can <laughs> so, see, we do not have a schedule for this <laughs> they will just come up when they come up but we'll yeah. let you know so <laughs> definitely follow instagram because that's where we tend to post the most when we actually post stuff we say that that's <laughs> where we'll announce anything so follow us on there and yeah we're quite bad with other social media we have all the other social media but we we, the instagram is where we tend to do it yeah i feel like we could probably get a semi-decent following if we just posted more regularly on things but oh well oh well (laughs) never mind (laughs) Um, okay we have dedicated three fans oh yeah I was um, like, I was like, oh, not many people listen to the the last one, and my mom was like, I haven't listened to your podcast yet, and I was like, well, that's why because you always have three <laughs> screens going, <laughs> and not, not listened to it yet. I don't know if my mom's listened to any of this. Rude. I know. I know. I'm gonna I'm gonna chase her up on that. Trish. I think. 
I know, she's letting the side down. This is a direct call out when she ever listens this far. Yeah, we're outing her. <laughs> but yeah, okay, so thank you for listening, guys. And glad um, you, we hope you, well, I'm saying we're glad you enjoyed it. I don't know if you enjoyed it yet, but we hope you maybe. did. We hope you didn't hate it. And um, we will see you next time. Yeah, see you later. Bye. Bye.